to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithRoy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithRoy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello there. Yes, this is Roy, and are we going to have some fun today? The topic we are going to discuss is, without a doubt, my favorite conversation to have. And it is one of the most powerful. We're going to talk about something that I call, and I think I've coined this phrase, I call it the Relationship Groundhog Day Syndrome. And I'm sure everyone has seen the movie Groundhog Day. So you already get an idea of what we're going to talk about. And I want to tell you, if you dial in here on this one, if you really listen with your heart wide open, and if you do the work, because I'm going to give you some practical steps to break free of the relationship Groundhog Day syndrome, your life is going to be dramatically changed. And I can tell you that on good authority because what I'm going to describe here is the primary reason I am now in a great relationship. And it is also the primary reason why my previous relationships sucked. And I think you're going to find the same can be true of you that the relationship Groundhog Day Syndrome has been operating in your life and it's the reason why your love life has not been what you want it to be. But if you dial in here, you can have the same results that I have because my love life being the way it is now is not that way because I got lucky or you know, something like that. It's, it's no, because I did a certain kind of work on myself and that is repeatable. All right. So with that setting, let me start with some, some questions. Maybe they're stupid questions because you're going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let me ask you, have you noticed that you have a tendency Or do you have a tendency to attract the same kinds of partners over and over again? I mean, maybe they are certainly different people from different walks of life, different parts of the country, right? So so certainly they're different, but are they sort of the same person? Meaning, do you notice that you have a tendency to attract narcissists? or people that are needy, or controlling, or angry, or dishonest, unstable, addicted? Do you notice a tendency to attract partners who are either emotionally unavailable, or legally unavailable, or that their life situation makes them unavailable? Right? Do you notice that you attract a certain kind of partner? That there's a theme? Hmm. Secondly, do you notice that maybe you attract certain kinds of patterns? Like your relationship history, your relationships go a certain way. For instance, you never get asked out. Or you seem to get rejected all the time. That's your pattern. Nobody ever asks me out. They ask my friends out, but I don't get asked out. Or my friends ask people out and they get a phone number, but I get rejected. Perhaps your pattern is you never get to a second or third date. Yeah, Roy, I can, I can get a first date, but I can't get a second one. Or perhaps your relationships start off really good, But, you know, anywhere from, what, three, four, five, six months, they begin to fizzle out and lose sort of energy. You know, they start good, but they don't really keep going. Perhaps you have a pattern of attracting cheating 
people in your life. Perhaps you find yourself repeatedly being put in the friend zone. You know what I mean by that? Like people just want to be friends with you. They don't really want to make you their partner. They don't really want to, you know, devote their heart and life to you. They just want to be friends. Perhaps you recognize a pattern where you seem to end up in a rescuing or fixing role. Like you feel like you're a mechanic and everybody that you're in relationship with, you got to be Mr. or Miss Goodwrench, you know, fix them up. Perhaps you notice a pattern where you seem to always be the one who's over-functioning. You're working harder at the relationship than they are. You're doing more in the relationship than they are. You're communicating more than they are, right? So can you relate to those patterns? Huh. If you can, I think you're familiar with what I call the relationship groundhog day syndrome. It's the tendency to attract the same kinds of patterns and partners and problems and pain over and over and over again, just like the movie. It's like I'm living the same relationship. It might be different people, but you know what? It's the same relationship over and over again. I rarely have ever met someone who can't identify with that, who doesn't have their own story of repeating types of partners and patterns and problems and pain. So because that is so common, you know, we need to first understand why it happens. Where does it come from? What's the root of that? Because if we get clarity of understanding, if you know where it comes from, if you really do understand it, then you're going to be able to break free of it. But if you don't know why it's happening, then of course you can't do much about it. Now the question of where does this come from And understanding it requires a big shift in most people's consciousness. Okay? Most people live in what I call a victim state of consciousness. Now, victim is really a bad word, and nobody wants to say that they have a victim consciousness, and I'm not a victim. uh, But understand what I mean by that. A victim state of consciousness means that something is happening to you. Like it's not happening because of you. It's not happening by you. It's just something that's happening to me. I just keep attracting married men. I just keep attracting women who seem to be a little flaky and crazy. These are things my clients tell me all the time. You know, they would, they would maintain that, I, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm just living my life. I'm just doing my thing. I just seem to always end up with, you know, men or women who are controlling or unstable or unavailable. And I get in these, you know, or I don't want my relationships to last just three months and then, you know, sort of fizzle out and die. It's just happening, right? That's a victim state of consciousness where you feel like you're not the one creating it and doing it and causing it. It's just happening because of someone else or because of forces that you just don't understand or can't explain. But a victim state of consciousness comes with kind of the conviction that I don't know why it's happening, but I know it's not me. It's someone or something else that is putting me in these repeating patterns, okay? That's the normal way people look at this stuff. 99 out of 100 people look at their life that way, that things are happening to them. But the shift in consciousness you have to make if you want to get out of these patterns and if you want to stop attracting the same people and patterns and problems and pain is you have to shift. And it's a huge, huge shift. You have to shift from thinking it's happening to you to simply owning 
even if you don't know exactly how or why, you have to own that it's happening by you or because of you. In other words, you have to take on what I call creator consciousness. I'm creating this pattern. I am attracting these types of partners and patterns and problems over and over again. In other words, I'm doing something. I'm moving in a way, living in a way, having an energy a certain way. I I believe certain things. I'm doing something to create the Groundhog Day Syndrome that I'm in. Now, that's a huge shift from to-me consciousness to by-me consciousness. But if you're willing to make that shift, oh boy, are you going to discover some things that you've been unconsciously doing that is responsible for your repeating patterns and problems in relationships. But you got to make that jump. (laughs) You got to be willing to say, I don't know how or why or what in the hell I'm doing. But I am no longer going to think that it's somebody else's fault or, uh, no, me. I'm creating this somehow. Okay. Now, once you do that, you open yourself up to real learning. You open yourself up to what sometimes people call, you know, like downloads from heaven, <laughs> universal wisdom, you know, like deep understanding comes when you start to look at yourself and wonder, what am I doing to invite these partners, these patterns, these problems, and that same old pain over and over again? Okay? Now, I'm going to talk the rest of the time here under the assumption that you're willing to take responsibility, to to look at the fact that you're in relationship Groundhog Day Syndrome, not by somebody else's doing, but by your own. You're putting yourself there. Now, the real payoff for being willing to be a to have creator consciousness to say this is happening by me. The real payoff is that if you're doing this to yourself, well, then you can stop it, right? If you're slapping yourself in the face and you're saying, "Man, this hurts. This hurts. My face hurts. My face is really oh, that stings," and then you you look in the mirror and you're like, "Oh my god." It stings because I'm slapping myself in the face. Well, then unless you've got some weird auto muscle disease, you can stop slapping your face yourself in the face. You can stop the pain. It really is that simple. Once you are willing to say, I'm doing this to myself, well, then you can stop it. But see, if you're a victim and you think it's just happening to you, that it's, oh, it's just, man, it's just luck, it's just whatever... Well, then what you're saying is you have no power to stop it. And you're therefore stuck in Groundhog Day forever. And it might have been funny in the movie, but it's not funny in real life. Okay? So that's the payoff. If you're willing to to go down what could be called the road less traveled, meaning I'm going to take responsibility for what I'm experiencing, the payoff is you have the power then to change it. It's sort of like if you write the movie of your life and so far it's turned out this way, if you're the one writing it, well, then you can rewrite it, right? You can write a different ending to this story. All right. So with that, I want to tie this into the law of attraction. Now, at some point, you're going to discover that I am not a fan of the law of attraction. Not because it doesn't work, but sort of because it does. Uh, In other words, the law of attraction will actually ruin your love life because of where your desire to attract and what is causing your desire is coming from. So we won't get into that today, but I do want to say that I've got a problem with the law of attraction, except if you define it properly. The law of attraction says like attracts like. That's really all it means. Okay, forget all the woo-woo stuff that you might hear from Abraham Hicks and all that nonsense. And in my view, that's false spiritual teaching coming from her and people like her. 
But the law of attraction just simply means like attracts like. Birds of a feather, birds of a feather flock together. So what does that mean in this regard? It means that if you are experiencing certain kinds of partners and then certain kinds of patterns and then certain kinds of problems, it is because like attracts like. It means that you are moving with an energy, with a way of being in the world that is attracting that dynamic to you. In other words, it fits you on some level. There's a reciprocal nature to it. Right, so we're going to get into that more right now. But like attracts like, and that's one of the key things that will help you understand why the by me, the creator consciousness, is the wiser way to look at it, is because you always attract after your own kind. You always attract a reciprocal playmate. So that is the baseline for our discussion, and now I want to jump into really explaining what's behind the relationship Groundhog Day Syndrome. And I want to do it with a metaphor that I use in one of my books, and it's a, it's a metaphor of, of making a puzzle. When you, when you were a little boy, a little girl, perhaps you even do it with your kids, you make a, a big puzzle on a table, right? Thousands, sometimes thousands of pieces if it's a complicated puzzle. But you know how to make a puzzle, right? Every single piece of the puzzle fits with another piece. They, they fit together perfectly, right? Now, you can't take just any particular puzzle piece and put it with any other puzzle piece. It only fits with its match. It only fits with its reciprocal puzzle piece. It only fits with a shape that is kind of the opposite shape of itself. Do you follow me? There's your insight. If you are attracting a certain shape in terms of another person, their way of being, their whether they're controlling or unstable or there's some sort of pattern in your life, my relationships don't last past three months, you want to think of that that is like your shape. And you are attracting a dynamic that fits you. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. So what you wanna what you wanna begin to think about is if I'm attracting these kinds of partners and patterns and people, they are like a piece of a puzzle. They have a particular shape to them. You know, the way they are, the way they, you know, whether they're people that need to be fixed or whether you know, they're, they're addicted or whether they're emotionally unavailable. That's their shape. Now, you end up in relationship with them because you have a particular shape that matches that or requires that. Okay? So, that shape that you have and that shape that they have, those are what are called relationship personas. A persona is a way of being. It's a way of operating, a way of living. It's it's not really the authentic you. Okay, your your relationship persona is kind of a false you. It's 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 not your most authentic self. It's the person that you have become or think you have to be in order to connect and feel loved and safe. Now, this starts way back in your childhood where you learn as a little person that if you are a certain kind of little boy or girl, you get a lot more attention and affection from the people that you care about around you. And so you feel loved and safe if you're that kind of little boy and girl. But if you're not that kind if you're more of maybe your authentic self, you might get rejected or you're not liked or you might even get punished. You know, for instance, 
let's say you're a little girl and you just are this little five-year-old little pigtails and you're just this wildly alive emotional creature. You know, just you can be crying in one moment and then you can be ecstatically joyful the next and then the next moment you can be angry and look out, right? You got this this full range of all your emotions as a little girl. It's your authentic way. You're just alive in every single way. But you have parents that don't like anger. They can't handle anger. And they think anger is wrong and negative and bad. Okay? Now, what do you do? What do you do with that? Because if you want to be your authentic self, you're going to get in trouble. You're either going to be told to go to your room. You might be just sort of rejected in some way, maybe even punished. Okay, So what do you do as a little girl? Well, you learn pretty quick. I got to hide my feelings because daddy can't handle angry women. I got to hide my sadness. I got to hide my sexuality. I have to hide my anger. And so it sort of goes underground. You disown that. And you say, well, what? I got to be close to my daddy. I got to be close to my mommy. So what kind of little boy or girl do I need to be in order for them to love me? Ooh, well, they just love me when I'm happy and nothing ever bothers me. And I'm not very emotional and I'm just really peaceful and... So you just become that little girl just because you want to be loved and you want to feel safe. Do you follow me? You've developed a relationship persona. So now you're 40 or you're 50 or 60 and you're kind of cut off from your emotions and you're this peaceful, go along to get along. Oh, everything's fine. Oh, I don't feel much of anything and you don't get angry. You know, none of that. And none of it's real. That's not your authentic self. Your authentic self has been buried for so long, you might not even know it's there. You're just caught in this persona that you learned as a child. Okay? So now here you are, is this peaceful, relaxed, you know, you're kind of this self-forgetting person, like, you know, I don't want to make my feelings a big deal. I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to cause any conflict like maybe you did when you were four or five years old with your daddy and he couldn't handle it. You've become this peacemaker, this helpful little creature that, you know, is easy to be around and all of that. That's your shape. You're like a piece of a puzzle. That's your shape now. That's your relationship persona. Now, who is that little girl going to attract? Opposites attract. That little girl is going to attract a narcissist or a control freak. Right? They go together. If 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 you're in a state uh, in a persona that doesn't own their own value and isn't expressing their real emotions and doesn't feel like their emotions are worthy and valid and and should be a part of their life, and you're you're sort of disowning yourself or dismissing yourself or dis- d- diminishing yourself, which is what you learned from your childhood, you're going to find yourself attracted to people who are overly sort of self-centered. They're overly, they're, it's all about them because for you, it's, oh, it's not about me at all. It's not about my feelings. I, I just don't want to make waves. I don't want to get my daddy mad at me, Right. So opposites attract. So if you're like a peacemaker, you're going to attract kind of a a control freak, a a dominant person, a narcissistic person, because they go together. Do you follow me? Like one needs the other. Like two control freaks could not be in the same marriage. They'd beat the hell out of each other. They, they, They would just be fighting over control all the time. No, a control freak needs somebody who's willing to be controlled. A narcissist who, who life is all about them. They're self-absorbed, self-obsessed. It's all about me. They're ultra selfish. Well, they can only exist in a relationship with someone who, will, who is willing to make it be all about them. 
to who is so selfless. Because two selfish per- people can't be together. <laughs> and two selfless people couldn't really be together because it's like nothing would ever happen. <laughs> you never move. No, no, whatever you want. No, whatever you want. No, whatever you want. No, whatever you want. You never do anything, right? So do you see that the, you, you have a shape that is attracting its opposite? Your persona requires its reciprocal matching piece. So it's like cookies and milk. This, this explains why you keep attracting the same types of partners and patterns and problems over and over again. Because as long as your shape is the same, only one piece of the puzzle will ever fit with you. So you can change partners, but you're going to find the same kind because you're shaped in the same way. So I call it the cookies and milk dynamic, right? I mean, cookies and milk, that that goes together, right? Cookies and tomato juice, ew, they don't go together. They don't match, right? They don't complement. They don't fit together, but ooh, cookies and milk. So let me give you some examples of different relationship personas and by the way, you've got a relationship persona. You don't grow up in this world. I don't care how healthy your family dynamic was. <laughs> I don't care how spiritually minded your family was. You were not raised by fully enlightened beings. So you have developed a relationship persona. I'm going to share mine with you in a minute. And part of the work is for you to discover what that is. Now, one of the ways you find out what your persona is, is by looking at the puzzle pieces you seem to attract. You say, Roy, I just keep attracting narcissistic men all the time. They're controlling, they're dominant, they're selfish, they never think about anyone but themselves. Yeah, well, then you must be a doormat. Oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. you, You must be. You must be overly unselfish. You must undervalue your worth to be with a person who overvalues themselves. It has to be. So you discover what your relationship persona is based upon the partners and patterns and problems that you seem to attract. Right? So if you like, I seem to attract partners that are falling apart. They're like wounded soldiers. They're broken down cars on the side of the road. <laughs> I keep attracting people whose lives are just kind of not, they're a mess. They're not put together again. Well, then you must be in a persona of, of, of being a rescuer or a fixer. You must be Florence Nightingale or Mr. Goodwrench. Because the broken down people need someone to fix them. And people that need to fix others need broken down people. And maybe you became a fixer because in your childhood, you found that when you solved people's problems and you took care of daddy when it was a bad day, or maybe one of your parents was an alcoholic or absent and you had to kind of step in and take care of the family and raise the kids because, you know, one of the parents was out to lunch or something. You've been fixing And you've been trying to survive your childhood by fixing and taking care of other people since an early age. And now that's who you think you are. And then you get to be 40 or 50. You're like, why do I keep attracting men whose lives are falling apart? Well, because they are your perfect playmate. As long as you're a fixer, you will always attract partners who need to be fixed. It has to be. Try to fix someone who feels like they can take care of themselves. See see how long that relationship lasts. It won't. But try to fix someone who really feels like they need to be fixed. Oh my God, they're going to love you so much. So here are some examples. Like I just said, rescuers or fixers attract the damsel in distress. Control freaks attract doormats. And vice versa. 
The narcissist attracts the self-forgetter. The self-forgetter attracts the narcissist. The wounded soldier attracts the nurse. The nurse attracts wounded soldiers. The clinger, the needy, clinging, desperate kind attracts the runner, the emotionally unavailable. And the emotionally unavailable keeps attracting people who are chasing after him, pushing them for commitment, pushing them for what is this relationship about? Where is it going? So if you are someone who is always getting pressed by their partners to clarify what we're doing here, what is this relationship about? Where is it going? You're like, man, they're so clingy. They're so needy. You know, they're so pushy. Well, that's only because you are stuck in some emotionally unavailable persona. You're afraid of commitment. If you're afraid of commitment, you are going to attract people who are obsessed with commitment and vice versa. Does that make sense? (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. All right. So let me tell you my story about this real quick. Okay. And I think one of the best ways to do it um, is I wrote about this in one of my books, my second book, Attracting Lasting Love after which this podcast is named. Um, And I thought, rather than try to tell you the story, let me just read it to you. Uh, It's not very long. But here's how I started. And by the way, I I was a rescuer. And you'll hear about it in a bit. And I call my, I I used to call myself Roy the Rescuer. uh, But I actually gave it the name Casanova, right? It's a little bit more flavorful of a name. It's a little bit more playful and, and but it is kind of that Casanova is that one. I'll be there to light your cigarette, baby. I'll I'll lay my coat over the puddle so you don't step in the water. It's I don't mean Casanova like as a womanizer using women that kind of thing. I mean someone who is is gonna take care of them is just gonna be the world's greatest boyfriend, right? This this great lover. Okay, that's Casanova in the way I'm using it, okay? So here's what I write. I became Casanova when I was seven years old in order to be emotionally close to my mother. While she never missed one of my sporting events and took care of all my family's physical needs, she was perfectionistic, emotionally cold, and demanding. If you wanted to be close to her, you did it her way. You did not want to piss her off. If you did, you would get that fuming, silent treatment. To this day, I can still hear my dad's voice. Son, don't piss her off. I know you. I know what you want, and it, it doesn't matter, son. Just do it her way. Make her happy. It's just not worth it. <laughs> so like any child, I wanted to be emotionally close to my mom. I wanted to feel her love, so I tried to be a good little boy, one that pleased her, did what she wanted, and made her life better. I laid aside my wants and needs and instead did whatever it took to make her happy. And when I did that, wow, I felt her love. She was warm and emotionally available. But every once in a while, if I lost sight of her agenda and did my own thing, she'd become angry, cold, and distant. I'd lose my connection to her. What I learned from my relationship with my mom, my first girlfriend, you could say, was that if I wanted the attention and affection of a woman, I had to be a good boy. In other words, in order to be close and connected to a woman, my life had to be about taking care of hers. This was my shape, my relationship persona, my way of relating to women. I came to believe that I had to be Casanova if I wanted a woman to love me. Now, let me tell you about Julie. Julie was my ex-fiancé the person that I got involved with immediately after my divorce. In fact, I started, I, I, I committed adultery with her. And of course, she didn't know. I, that's part of my story as I was married and so forth. And I made the dumbass decision to have an affair. I didn't tell the woman I was cheating with that I was married. It was a, just a nightmare. Uh, but here I'm going into a little bit about why that relationship with her was so powerful. Um, why it... Um, why it took on such meaning in my life. And I call her Julie, although that's not actually her real name. But here's, so I was Casanova, I was the rescuer. And of course, who do the rescuers attract? 
the damsels in distress, right? So here's, here's my damsel's story. Julie grew up feeling isolated and left to fend for herself. As a consequence, she became very self-reliant and, and an independent little girl. Her parents loved her, of course, but Julie never felt like anyone's priority, especially her father's. He worked a lot, and when he was home, he was that strong, sto- silent, stoic type. Suffice it to say, Julie never felt like daddy's little girl. In fact, she would tell Casanova later that she never had been the center of any man's attention. Her self-reliant attitude enabled her to earn a degree in chemistry and business management, and after graduation, she landed a demanding job, high-paying job, partly because of her ambition, but also because she was a single mother and the sole provider for two young boys, Julie consistently chose to work 60 to 80 hours a week, including nights and weekends. So when Casanova met her, she was overwhelmed with responsibilities. Life was crazy. Managing her demanding career, raising her two boys, and running her household left her with hardly any time to breathe. Julie's shape, or relationship persona, therefore, was that of a lonely damsel in distress. She was overwhelmed with responsibility and had never been the priority in a man's life. Now, I could joke and continue reading, and this is kind of what I say, two personas walk into a bar. (laughs) Now, that that might be the way this, you know, a little ditty by Jack and Diane would go, right? Or, or some sort of joke, you know, two personas walk into a bar. Uh, but this ain't funny. While I actually did meet Julie in a bar, a swanky place called the Clubhouse in uh, the suburbs of Chicago, um, the details aren't important. I talk about it a lot in my first book. All you need to know is that we immediately hit it off. In fact, that's an understatement. It was the closest thing to love at first sight that I've ever experienced. The attraction and chemistry was instant, and it was obvious as to why, isn't it? We were a perfect match. I walked into the bar as Casanova, a guy who thought the only way to get a woman to want him was to take care of her every need. Damsel, Julie, came in overwhelmed by her lifestyle and disappointed that she's never been a man's priority. Were there ever two personas that were better suited for one another? Two weeks into our relationship, Damsel jokingly said, I don't expect to be a man's top priority, only somewhere in his top 10. Well, well, this was her lucky day because Damsel wouldn't be in my top 10. She would be the top 10. Casanova was built to make a woman the absolute focal point of his entire life. In fact, he doesn't know any other way to relate to a woman other than by spoiling the hell out of her. We were like cookies and milk. Now, I know this is going to sound cynical, but falling in love is nothing more than two perfectly matched puzzle pieces meeting one another. By the end of our second date, we fell in love. Hard. How could we not? We complemented each other perfectly. All right. Does that make sense? Do you understand the dynamic? So the the key is for you to start now to look at your, the partners that you've been attracting and the patterns and the problems and look for the theme. Look for the similarity in it all. The similarity in how the relationship went, starting out hot and fizzling out. Or in the beginning, that person, you know, it was kind of sweet where they were needy and, and needing help. And, and it was great. You felt needed and wanted and appreciated. And then you started to really see that this person wasn't functioning in their life and that you were carrying the load. So you've got to do the work on your side of, of introspecting and saying, what is what are the puzzle pieces here? What is the shape I've been attracting? The shape of the relationship or the shape of the person or the shape of the problem? And then therefore, what must my shape be? Am I a rescuer 
or a self-forgetter or a doormat? Or am I the control freak? There's a lot of people in, you know, they, they complain that their partner is such a doormat. So um, they almost don't respect them because they won't push back, that they won't fight or that they won't argue. They just are sort of wallflowers. They sort of disappear. They sort of don't engage. Well, that might be because you're such a control freak that you've cre- you've attracted this dynamic where you take up all the, the energy in the room. Okay? So whatever it is, you, that's... You got to do you got to do the work. And you got to ask yourself what what pattern am I attracting? And therefore, who must I be? So you got to figure out your cookies and milk dynamic. My understanding about why I kept attracting damsels in distress and Julie wasn't the only one. My understanding when I when I started to see that oh my god, I'm playing out my pattern with my mother here. Like, I'm being the world's greatest boyfriend because, frankly, I don't think a woman would ever love me or want me or feel emotional and sexual energy toward me unless my life was about taking care of hers. I learned that at an early age. I didn't even know I was doing it. I was just trying to survive my childhood, just trying to be close to my mom, right? So I disowned my own core, my own self, and and just whatever you need, baby, right? And, but for a while, I used to blame the women for being so broken down and work, being, you know, working so much and being so overwhelmed and you can't handle your own life. I used to claim, complain about that and blame them for that. But wait a minute. Out of all the women in the world, why do I track that one? There's a lot of women in the world who are not damsels in distress. They got their shit together. Why wasn't I attracting those kinds of women? Because Casanova's not interested in those kinds of women. Those kinds of women aren't interested in Casanova. I remember meeting some women online after me and Julie broke up that were really high quality, high functioning women. They're beautiful. And I had some physical attraction. I don't know. I I didn't feel any emotional attraction, but I was always curious about why they didn't want to go on another date with me. I mean, I I probably knew that, I don't know if I really like that person that much, you know, but they're good looking. So I'll, you know, I was so desperate. I'd go out with them again. But they never did with me until I understood this. They could sense that I was some sort of Casanova, that I was some sort of rescuer. And they didn't need that from a man. They could take care of their life just fine. So their persona didn't match mine. Only the matching personas feel chemistry. That's, that's one reason why chemistry is so dangerous. Now, you got to have chemistry to have any kind of relationship. I get that. But there is persona chemistry, right? Casanova is attracted to damsel. That's chemistry. It's not healthy chemistry, though, is it? Because we ended up breaking up. Because after a while, I didn't want to keep taking care of her and her kids and her house and rescuing her. I was like, come on, girl, you got to step up and change your hours, maybe work less and raise your own children here. I got my own kid. Oh, 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 that didn't work. You follow me? So a a persona-based relationship will work as long as both people want to stay in their persona. But as soon as one person sort of begins to wake up and says, "Mm, I'm not functioning in the healthiest ways. I'm living out some childhood pattern. I don't want to, I don't want to relate this way anymore, well, well, then the other person has to change along with you or it's going to blow up. And that's, that's what it happened. So, but you've got to do the work to know what this is, to know what your dynamic is. And when you do, you will never blame your partners again. How could I blame Julie for being Julie? She was exactly what I needed. <laughs> she was my perfect match. So how do you get out of it? How do you, Because, again, as long as I am Casanova, I'm always going to attract that kind of woman every time. It it can't be otherwise. The law of attraction says so. Like attracts like, meaning we're both kind of on the same level. Okay? We're doing the same thing. We match each other. Okay? So as long as I'm Casanova, I can't – there's no way I can find a, a woman who is 
not a damsel in distress. So here's the problem people think. They say, oh, I got all these, I keep attracting the same kinds of partners and the same kinds of patterns, so I just need to find a, a better partner. Help me find a better partner. That's not the answer. You will never find yourself attracted to a different kind of partner if you are moving in the energy of your persona. I could have been introduced to a beautiful, self-assured, put-together woman. And physically, yeah, okay, physically she's beautiful. But I wouldn't have felt that spark because I couldn't take care of her. Do you get that? But you put me with a woman, even if she's not that beautiful, but she's kind of falling apart and I can rescue her and that makes me feel loved and that makes me feel wanted. And I and that old pattern between me and my mother is kind of activated. I'm all in. Do you follow me? So to change, to get out of the relationship Groundhog Day syndrome is not about finding a partner that has a different shape. It's about changing your shape. If you change the shape to your puzzle piece, then you won't fit with that puzzle piece anymore. You'll attract a whole different kind. So you need to move from your persona self to your authentic self. And you need to let go of your relationship persona. That's why the first step is you got to know what that is. You can't let go of it until you know what it is. So I want to walk you through seven steps to let go of your relationship persona. And I'm trusting that you have an idea about what it is. Now, there's a really good chance that you don't know what, you you can't make heads or tails of it. Well, that's what I do as a coach. I'm really good at helping a person identify themes, identify patterns, and get clear based on, we don't do a lot of childhood stuff. It's not like psychotherapy, lay on the couch and, you know, that kind of stuff. But we touch on childhood enough to sort of get at who you think you need to be in order to be desirable to your version of an ideal partner. Who do I need to be in order to, to be liked, to be wanted, to be pursued, to be desired? Follow me? So if you're not clear on that, well, then let's work together because Nothing is more important than understanding this dynamic. Otherwise, you're going to have painful relationships over and over and over again the rest of your life. So I'm not that expensive of a coach. But God, what's it worth to get out of these patterns? Right? I mean, holy cow. Um, nothing is more important than getting out of these patterns. So if you need some help with this, well, that's what I do. But let me just give you a, a couple of let – me, let, me, let me outline the seven steps that you can do to break free of whatever your persona is. And this is what I have done to break free of being Casanova because I wouldn't be in the healthy relationship I'm in if I hadn't done this work. I did this work before I met my wife because my wife is not a damsel. I mean, quite the opposite. But back before I met her, I would never have been attracted to my wife now. I would never because I couldn't be Casanova with her. She'd be like, what are you doing? Ew. Right, But after this work, I became attracted to a whole different kind of woman because I had a different shape. Do you follow me? You're attracted. Your, your chemistry is based upon your shape. You change your shape and you're attracted to a different kind of person. If you're attracted to the bad boy, that's because you got something going on inside of you that matches in an opposite way the bad boy. Right? Bad boys are usually non-committal, they're wild, they're unpredictable, they might be sexy, but they're not trustable. And if you're attracted to them, you're probably this overly conscientious, safe, sort of, you know, ready for commitment, sort of, maybe a bit more, I don't want to say vanilla, that sounds too negative, it's not. But you're, you're probably not as colorful and sort of wild as the bad boy, and so... Ooh, you guys, you guys fit together, right? But you know, a relationship with a bad boy ain't going anywhere because by definition, he's not going to commit. That's what a bad boy is, <laughs> right? So, so man, I don't, how do I change my attraction to the bad boy types? Oh my God, they're so sexy to me. 
Well, you change your own shape. You get at what your shape is and you change that. And all of a sudden you might smile at a bad boy, but you got no interest in going there. I'm not attracted to that anymore. I'm attracted to this guy who's trustable, whose life is put together, who is actually available for intimacy. Wow. I would never have been attracted to that guy five years ago. Five years ago, the bad boy was my thing. And of course it was heartache and pain. So you can change your type. That's what I'm saying. People say, he's not my type. She's not my type. Your type is just based on your persona. It's garbage. Your type is unhealthy because what your persona is attracted to is coming from your own unhealthiness because you've disowned your authentic self as a child. And now you're walking around as this false self that is just being this way to get love and attention and feel safe. And it's going to attract unhealthy dynamics. Like attracts like, right? So step number one, do as I did. Name your persona. These are all E words. So epitaph, give your persona a name. You know, like King George III, that wasn't his name. That was like a title. So give your persona um, a name of some kind. If you can, the funnier and and, and kind of cuter it is, the better. Um, if it is, you don't want to use your name because it's really not you. That's why I, I change Roy the rescuer because Roy's not a rescuer. Roy's an authentic being. So I had to, I don't want to use Roy. I want to use Casanova, right? So come up with a name. The second thing you want to do is explain. So the first one is epitaph. Come up with a name. The second one is explain, meaning summarize your dynamic in a single sentence. So mine was sort of like Casanova ignored his own needs and wants and prioritized the woman so that he could feel or, or the, so that he would be wanted and loved, right? I just summarized my game, the game that I was unconsciously playing. Casanova forgets himself, prioritizes the woman so that he can get attention and affection. So once you come up with a name, describe the behavior and describe the goal of what is your persona's goal. Okay. Third thing, you can't do this here, but we could do it together is I call it, I call it examine or interview your persona. Like one thing I do with my clients is I actually have them sort of embody their persona. My coach did this with me. I sort of become Casanova. I kind of forget about Roy for a second and, and like taking on a character or a role. If I'm in a play on stage, I become the character, right? So I try to become Casanova. I put my body in a certain shape. I, 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 I talk in a certain way. I really try to become Casanova. And then my coach interviews Ca- Casanova, actually asks him questions like, what do you want? What do you fear? Where did you learn your style from? Right? What, what do you, what do you most want in a relationship? Right? Because you want to understand what your persona is all about. You don't want to try to get rid of this. You're, you're really trying to get to know your persona, right? The more you resist something, the more it persists. So we're not trying to get rid of the persona. We're really trying to bring him into our awareness and, and try to understand where Casanova come from. What does he really want? Like what's going on with him? Why did I become this way? The more I, the more I love Casanova, the more I see like, of course I became Casanova. I just want to be close to my mother. It makes perfect sense. Now, there's no, there's no need for him anymore in a relationship with a woman. There's no need. But the way I break free of it is by becoming more aware of, it, of Casanova's motivations and needs and wants and thoughts and all that. So the third step is to examine or interview the persona. The fourth one is to come up with an example like a physical thing that you can carry around with you that whenever you see it or touch it or notice it, it will remind you of how you can be Casanova or whatever your persona is. So for instance, my coach said, Roy should get a cigarette lighter. And I'm like, Diana, I don't smoke. I don't date women who smoke. She said, I don't care. It's just that every time you feel that in your pocket, it's going to remind you, oh yeah, don't be Casanova. Right, it's gonna, it's gonna snap you out of any trance because 
These are long-held patterns we've learned as kids. They're not easy to break out of. It's real easy for me to fall back into being Casanova. So having some physical item around me, whether I see it or touches it, sort of is like smelling salt. It snaps me back like, oh, be Roy. Don't be Casanova here. Okay? So let me give you some examples. Um, I worked with a client one time who um, recognized that she was always attracting men who just wanted sex. They didn't kind of come out in the beginning and just tell her that, but they were just there to hit it and quit it. They, they just wanted sex and then they wanted to move on. They, the relationships were very short. After a few sexual experiences, they just disappeared. So it is like they were attracting men who were like Johns. And she was like a prostitute, something, right? It was like they just want her for sex. That's it, right? Now, she wasn't getting paid, of course, right? But there was that dynamic. She said, well, why do I keep attracting men that just want sex only? They're not interested in a relationship. They, they just, they don't connect with me. They don't call me. They don't want to talk to me. They don't, they don't really want to get to know me. They just think I look really good and, and they just want to fuck me. I mean, I mean, like, what's that about? Well, that's the shape she was attracting. So that must mean that she must be moving. She must have a shape where she is moving in a highly sexualized way. Like she's putting out a message that I'm like a hooker, that I'm, I'm all about sex. And it turns out that she was quite beautiful, but she also dressed very provocatively and acted in a lot of ways that gave guys the impression that she was a good time girl and she wasn't really looking for intimacy and connection So in other words, she knew that her sexuality was powerful. And when she was, and the name we came up with was Susie the Slut, okay? When she was Susie the Slut, she was being that way because she thought that's the only way I can get attention and affection from men. She was actually abused when she was younger, okay? There's a dynamic there. But she thought, well, that's the way I get love. That's the way I feel safe is I use my sexuality, uh, and then it attracts men who, who use her sexuality. So I said, well, you're animating a persona called Susie, Susie the Slut. And as long as you stay as Susie, you'll always attract John. They go together, right? So don't try to find a man who wants more than just sex. You've got to get out of the Susie the Slut thing. You've got to see that you have much more to offer a man other than your body, that there's a depth to you, that there's more to you, and that you want more. And that will change the way you move and the way you talk and the way you relate. It'll even change the way you dress because you're not walking on the street anymore trying to get someone to drive up and say, hey, baby, how much, right? Okay, so these are kind of crass ways of saying it. And I want you to understand that I developed a huge sense of trust with my client before we could talk at that level, okay, before she was able to kind of work with me on this, all right? But that's the dynamic. So what was the, the, the example, the physical item? Well, I actually wanted her to go online and get a picture of a famous porn star like Jenna Jameson or something, okay, and print it out and put it in a little picture frame and put it on her nightstand, So every night when she'd go to bed, if she was bringing some guy to that bed, Jenna Jameson would be staring at her. (laughs) How could she stay in the dynamic of the only way I get a man is by using my sexuality when Jenna's staring right at her? Do you follow me? Right? So you can, you can do this. I, I talk to many guys that like, I keep attracting these women who are like drama queens, like like the house is always on fire. Like something's always wrong. Like there's some big problem. And, and, and of course, you know, I, you know, I'm a good guy. I care about him. So I always rush over to try to help put out the fire. I said, oh, you're Freddie the fireman. Well, Freddie the fireman needs the drama queens. A fireman needs fire. Got to. So he was beginning to understand, wow, there's something in me that needs 
someone whose life is on fire, someone who's got big drama, big problems, because then I get to go over there and sort of with my axe and, you know, and I can chop down the door and I can save them. <laughs> you follow me? All right. So I said, go to the toy store and get a little tiny little uh, fireman's hat and put it on the mantle of your over your fireplace or put it in the cup holder in your car. And every time you look at that fireman hat, it's going to remind you, don't be Freddie the fireman. Get out of that mentality that will always attract women whose lives are burning down. Now, And that can go both ways. There are women firefighters these days. And there are men whose lives are burning down. And the women feel like, I'm like 911. You know? <laughs> that could be your persona. I'm a 911 operator. My friends call me up. 911, what's your emergency? <laughs> and then you, you send help. You, you fix it. Right? The problem isn't your friends. The problem is you're a 911 operator. You, you feel like you've got to do that stuff in order to get connection or feel safe or to feel loved. Are you following all this? Okay, so the, the five steps so far are epitaph, a name, explain, summarize it, examine, interview the persona, example, get something physical that reminds you to kind of snap out of that way of being in the world. And then the other one is to exaggerate, okay? One of the ways you break free of these these personas is to, is not to run away from them, but with a trusted friend to exaggerate them, to make it bigger. Like there were times when I kind of felt like I might have been falling into Casanova again with a woman that I was dating while I was working with my coach, Diana, that I'd call Diana on the phone and I would call her as Casanova. And I'd be like, oh, Diana, you're the greatest coach in the world. How's your life? Is there anything I can do for you? Can I come over and, and do your laundry and raise your kids and, and, and vacuum your house? I mean, you're so wonderful and I, I love you so much and you're, you're such a great coach, you know. Even though I, I live 1,200 miles away, I'll come over and I'll do I'll cut your grass, right? Because that's all the stuff I was doing with, for women in order to get them to love me. Okay, so that's the first thing I say on the phone. Now, immediately, Diana knows what I'm doing. And so she just plays. She's like, oh, yes, Roy. Oh, gosh, I really am falling apart. I can't handle it. And gosh, if you would do those things, oh, would I make it worth your while, Roy? Oh, boy, right? Because that's what me and Julie did. I'd take care of her and then she'd take care of me. You know what I mean? Okay. So by making it bigger that way, it breaks it. We both, we both be on the phone laughing. How hilarious that is that I have to like be that kind of guy to get a woman to like me. Right. I mean, can't I just be me? It does. I'm, I'm not saying being Mr. Mom is, is a bad thing. I just wasn't being Mr. Mom from a place of love. I was doing it because I was afraid if I wasn't that way, I would never get any affection or a woman would never like me. So the Mr. Mom things that I did were dysfunctional and out of fear. They were manipulative, right? But when I would make that bigger with Diana and then she would play with me, it, it, it just broke it in me. It's like, oh my God, I'm so crazy doing these things. Like what's, what's going on, right? So these are the kind of steps that that you can take. Now, there's a further step where you can create a persona party. It's like a Halloween party where you go in character. Like whatever your persona is, you can actually dress up as that. And if everybody at the party is dressed up in persona, like I've been to persona parties and I, I went as a Casanova type and it's so much fun, but everybody at the party is doing their own persona also. So everybody understands what's going on, right? If I would walk into a bar on Halloween as Casanova, walk up to some girl and say, can I cut your grass and wash your car? You know, they would, I mean, somebody might say yes, but yeah, I might get arrested. You know what I mean? So some, the, the party part, some of these bigger ways that you can do it with a group of people and break free, you have to create special scenarios for that. I, but so I just mentioned that briefly. Um, I go deeper into it in the book. In fact, I have a whole chapter that describes the persona party I went to. It's unbelievably hilarious um, and worth reading. So there you go. There are some of the steps. If you say, I want to get out of my pattern 
And I know it's about not trying to find a better partner because as long as I'm my puzzle piece, I'm going to attract the same reciprocal puzzle piece. When you want to change your shape, when you want to shape shift yourself, then you give it a name, you summarize it, you interview it, you have an example of it, you exaggerate it, and then perhaps you can embody it um, at a party or something like that. Does that make sense? Is this, do you like this kind of work? Do you, do you like this kind of conversation? I, I would imagine you do if you've gone through, what, an hour and five or six minutes or something up until this point. Um, but if you do, you're the kind of person I love to work with. You're the kind of person who would love all the resources I have because it's all like this. All of my books are at this kind of level. My video courses, my group programs, my private work. These are the kind of discussions that we have because I've just learned that this is what transformed my love life. Do you see now when I say it doesn't matter where you go or what you say or how you approach, that's not the issue, right? Because if I'm Casanova, it doesn't matter where I go, I'm going to find the damsel in distress and do the same thing again. So it doesn't matter where you go to try to meet someone, online, not online, whatever. The, the issue is how you go, not where you go. How am I going there? Am I going there as my authentic self? Or am I going there in some persona that's responsible for all these partners and patterns and problems and pain that I've been living in over and over and over again? So I'll leave it there. And I hope you reach out to me. Again, Roy at coachingwithroy.com or my website, coachingwithroy.com. Hell, my cell phone number, 407-687-3387. Text me, call me, let's talk about working together, let's identify what your persona is, let's help you break free of that, and let's help you attract a healthy, sustainable, intimate relationship. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.